0: Max Richardson has had an international career, which includes a lot of travel, and in the bonus room he talks about his experiences of being on the road and visiting different countries with different cultures. But we first begin with the final topic of his book, 100 Days of Trumpet Practice. This episode is brought to you by Dorico, the music notation and composition software from Steinberg. Dorico is a family of products for iPad, macOS, and Windows, and you can get started for free with Dorico for iPad in the App Store or Dorico SE for macOS and Windows. Install Dorico for iPad or Dorico SE today or experience the full power of Dorico Pro with a completely free 30-day trial. Visit www.dorico.com to learn more. Number 10 is what comes next. (laughs) And that will lead us to the next part of the discussion. Yeah. Yeah
1: and and so exactly, and that's all about um you know if you if you finish these this these proverbial hundred days of practice, what are you gonna do next? What lessons have you learned? and even if you know the hundred days of practice is kind of more of an abstraction anything than anything, it's like well, that's about the productive length of an American semester, you know typically, if you start you know. The end of August until the beginning of December—it's around that time—which, which was kind of convenient, given that that the hashtag was a 100 days of practice. But so once you've gone through this process of of either adhering to the structure I prescribe or taking some ideas from that and putting your own uh, plan together, um, and you've gone through 100 or so days of, of practice, well, cool. What's what's next? How are you setting more goals, and how are you going to maybe apply similar formulas to? to structure your practice from the, from the future. So, yeah, just, just trying to get a little bit of perspective on what we would have done going through the whole book and, and um, how to set goals and try to accomplish them moving forward.
0: Well, it's a great book. It's a beautiful-looking book, too. Editions BIM did a great job. They really did, yeah. I'm, I hope you're happy with that. I'm it.
1: grateful to them for Yeah, I think I think they did tremendous work with the book for sure. So congratulations well, thanks thanks John. i'd like to talk a little bit about
0: your touring also because you do a fair amount of touring and you've visited many different countries. I think you have a lot of travel yeah. travel stories to tell, and you 've played a lot in in so many different countries, and I was just thinking maybe you could just talk about some of your experiences or at least what you came away with thinking about these different countries, like the difference in culture between Japan and china and Different places in Europe and, and yeah, so
1: forth. Sure. And you see this, you know, even in Europe, of course, everyone's so close, but the way people structure their lives and do things is so <clears throat> different. There are all, all these jokes that are told, too, you know, the differences between, say, the Scandinavians and the Italians. And, and uh, <laughs> you know, I saw okay, this. Okay, t- tell a joke. Well, uh, <clears throat> some of these I'm not sure it would be appropriate for, your, for the podcast, but, <laughs> but I saw it in action with, uh, you know, I got to play the Sardinia, Brass Festival this uh, last July, and, and it was a great group of people. We had a quintet, including uh Italian and Hungarian. And um, from Norway, we had Oisstein, uh Bodsvik, the great tuba oh, yeah, uh, soloist. And so, you know, Ois is from Norway, and he's super great guy and incredible musician. But you could tell he was expecting things to go <laughs> as planned, you know? And, uh you know, in Italy, man, it's not always... <laughs> you don't uh, the do case, it that way I think it probably especially on the island you know so um you could see sometimes the, uh, you know and as an american and probably somewhere in the middle where we generally expect things to go a certain way but i've also learned you know I, i've learned just to try to try to roll with whatever's whatever's happening you know and um but yeah you see um what's what's most interesting to me is is uh, the things that kind of unify people i mean this the the way It sounds like a cliche, but truly the way music seems to break down boundaries, you know. I've been in places where I couldn't speak to anyone. I remember going to Russia way back in 2005, and um, it was a very strange experience. The people I met and interacted with were amazing, and, and yet there was a lot of stuff structurally that was strange and didn't really seem to work. But I remember playing with some of these jazz musicians where the only English they seemed to know was the name of... Standard tunes that we might play together, and I didn't speak any Russian at all. So that was what we would say to each other. We knew the same recordings and the same keys, and we we would play these tunes together, and it was incredible. So that it it shows what a powerful force and a powerful experience it is to to be able to play music and connect people from these different cultures, ranging from you know Japan and China, such incredibly different places in terms of how the lives are structured, and and yet you find Great people everywhere, you know, uh, Russia, different parts of Europe, New Zealand, Australia. It's kind of the really the great unifier in a way that goes beyond any semblance of cliche. It's still really profound for me, and I'm sure it's been for you too to see that. You know?
0: Okay, so here's a question. So, I mean, you, you've been to these countries that have, I guess, fairly radically different cultures like Russia and Japan and China and, and Italy, let's say, yeah. um, and... I don't know if you, so you mentioned playing jazz in Russia. I don't know if you play jazz in China or in Japan, but does that sort of reflect the culture and do those countries swing differently than the United States in jazz terms?
1: That's interesting. Well, you see certain things, sometimes different kinds of jazz will have a bigger impact or a bigger following in certain countries. Like uh, when I was in Korea, I was really impressed in the clubs we went to in Seoul that these guys were playing very much like what they sound like a lot of the New York musicians, the guys right on the edge of the modern stuff, incorporating all kinds of fusion and and rock and pop elements, but very virtuoso kind of improvisation, you know. And up in Scandinavia, um, they, they you don't hear a lot of a kind of the a, a bluesy sort of approach to playing. You hear more of a very modernist kind of straight eighth note, kind of a chamber music-ish sort of approach to playing. And so I've heard those kinds of differences in, in different places, you know, like what, what are these musicians kind of uh, more turned on by? What are they kind of gravitating towards? And it's at the point now, Scandinavia has become a serious center of jazz where, you know, you can probably learn just about anything there that you could in, in a, in a place like New York or LA, if you say, going to study jazz or something. And I remember I, I did a, a class in Yurtenberg uh, or Gothenburg, I guess we would We'd call it right near Boros after playing with the orchestra there. Um, And uh, I just had a trio, jazz trio. And I was doing a a clinic. These were were kids. They were like 19, 20. I was like, well, let's play a little bit of Stella by Starlight. You know, and I told the piano player, just play eight measures up front as an intro. And I knew that was going to tell me all I needed to know. And by the end of those eight measures, I was like, Whoa. I'm going to be keep, keeping up with these kids, you know. It sounded amazing. And so the whole experience was a total blast. And you get to, you got to see just how the profundity of the, the education uh, they have in that, that part of the world. And so, yeah, there are surprises. And what's really surprising now is that there seem to be great jazz musicians everywhere now. Every corner of the world seems to have great jazz musicians. And, of course, be, between the fact that, you know, um, the music's been around so long at this point, and the fact that its accessibility is, is greater than ever through the internet. Um, it's, so it's, it's pretty inspiring to encounter that.
0: You know, one criticism of, of globalization with orchestras is that people say orchestras are all starting to sound the same, in a way. They don't have their individual characters like they used to have. Um, but what I also notice is that orchestras are a lot more versatile, so that, that a German orchestra can play French music and can start to sound like a French orchestra, whereas before, with their individuality, they couldn't. Um, yeah. Do you find that's happening with jazz too? That that um, that on one hand, um, different countries are, or there tends to be sort of a, a coming together, like a, a everybody sort of playing the same. Or do you think there's more um, variety in the in the different cultures or, or countries?
1: I think it's interesting. It, it, it's I think it's maybe the same kinda of parallel where people are exposed to a lot of the same things, but mostly it means an expansion of what everyone can do. So I think a lot of musicians, if they want to play kind of more trad jazz, they can do it. If they want to play fusion, they've got some electric instruments, they can do it. And if they want to play more in the in the, the sort of bebop or post bop style, they they have the skills to do that as well. So yeah, I think it's there are always gonna be these individual differences. It's it's a little bit like the way the food culture will, in, will influence winemaking. You know, and the way the wine, the way the wines grow based on the climate is going to influence the way they, they make food. And I think the way people speak, interact with each other tends to have a subtle uh, effects on how they, they improvise together and, and play music. And so you, you know, I think you see in some of the more relaxed places, uh, they, they play a little more relaxed. And some of the more tense places, especially big cities, there's a little more of this kind of aggressive vibe. So that's that's kind of an interesting thing I I think I've observed, you know.
0: You know there's a great um video, I just love this video, uh taken from a young person's concert with Leonard Bernstein and the New York Philharmonic. I think it's 1961 or maybe 59 where he talks about folk music and he talks about how the different languages have different stresses and emphasis and how that goes into folk music and then how folk music goes into classical music. And I'm sure the same thing would happen with jazz yeah, I would think, yeah absolutely
1: too. because I think you've always got these the more local kind of traditions that evolved over the centuries for for various parts of the world and it's always going to have some kind of influence on how they they play jazz or any other genre that kind of crosses international boundaries and I think one of the one of the simplest way they do is just the idea that their folk songs come into the repertoire you know, you can adapt, you know, for, for jazz musicians, uh, the basic repertoire initially was kind of great American songbook tunes. And then a lot of musicians started writing more and more of their own tunes. And so, you know, if you go to, say, Sardinia, when I was just playing, they're going to have different folk songs that might come into their, their repertoire that the jazz musicians will adapt. And it's going to be that way all over the world. And that's that's one of the cool things that still keeps some differences alive.
0: Well, you know, one thing I've, I know about you. I think I know about you is that you really like to work. You like to get a new piece and really work hard on it. You enjoy practicing and you also, it seems to me really enjoy working on new projects. So um, what are some projects that you have that you're looking forward to in the future?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a fun question. I mean, I'm looking to record another uh, jazz album soon with uh, some, musicians uh, in Richmond We're very lucky there it's a relatively small city but there are just some amazing musicians there and I over the years as I got busier traveling I was losing connection to the scene you know I'd come home and teach and be at home with uh, my wife and then I'd be gone again and and I wasn't playing much at home so I'm, I'm really working on to reconnect to the scene because there's so much musical benefit I can um, I can derive from that with uh, musicians at home. I'm also trying to, uh, you know, I've, I've spent some time hanging out with uh, an alto saxophonist named Steve Wilson, who's uh, he's, one of, he's probably VCU's most famous jazz alum, or one of them for sure, and he's, he's a real star in the New York scene, an incredible musician, a wonderful guy, and we've had a few chances to play together, and we're trying to develop uh, a project that's going to involve uh, improvisation on, on some classical structures. So that'll be that'll be really cool to get into, I think. Um, yeah,
0: just let me in, let me interrupt sure. just for a second. When you said you've said VCU a number of times, and that stands for Virginia Commonwealth University. That's right.
1: We still remember your visit, of course. Oh, <laughs> I told the story of you asking anyone does anyone have a trumpet? You know, you hadn't touched one in three months, and you just grabbed mine and nailed whatever it is he was showing to the kid. Oh, I
0: think it was a warm-up in the middle register. And your your mouthpiece is, was the strangest feeling mouthpiece for me. <laughs> the thing I remember about that visit is thinking that I'd lost my passport.
1: I remember that too.
0: That was a that scary, was a moment, scary moment, moment
1: Yes. i Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I went through the same thing in Thailand once. That was a bad feeling. So, um, yeah, we probably all go, all, all travelers probably go through that at some point, I imagine. <laughs> I think so.
0: Yeah. And boy, it's terrifying. Yeah. So anyway, so you're with a saxophone player at VCU.
1: No, he's he's actually a VCU alum. He graduated. Oh, okay. Whew, long time ago. I would say he's probably back in the '80s. You know, but he's been up in New York. He's played with just about everyone you can imagine. He's a real star in the in the international jazz scene. And um, so we're we're hoping to develop something of a, a partnership with this uh, project that's based on improvisation on, on some classical structures, and. Yeah, beyond that, I'm trying to do some more composing. I'm still trying to get, um, back into kind of a groove with, with concert bookings and, and, and travel. It's still been kind of slow going, but it's picking up. You know, more invitations are, are coming through. And, you know, going to Sardinia was my first international trip since March of 2020. My, my last concert before the COVID lockdowns was actually in Peru. Um, wow. So I'm, um, you know, it should be back in Argentina in, uh, late January, early February. So things are opening up again. And I'm going to keep yeah. trying to, I'm, I'm look. I've got some other ideas knocking around, maybe about some other books, maybe even a straight set of etudes or something. And so those are all things I'm, uh, I'm hoping to get into.
0: So are you going to write the next 200, next hundred days of practice?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think, you know, now that this, this sort of set of, Uh, the structure is in place the templates in place it might be a lot easier to do that to kind of say okay well what what happens if you're going to you know do another semester and keeping some elements and cycling some others out and so we've also talked about trying to get um see if we can get that from other instruments maybe a horn artist would like to do one for horn or trombone or something like that using the same template so we'll yeah we'll see how that that stuff might develop but
0: Wow, that's interesting. That would be very interesting. Yeah, and you could it, it, that could expand to every instrument, actually. Yeah, exactly.
1: And, and in fact, I'm, I'm going to be doing some presentations on just 100 days of practice uh, that are more less specific to trumpet players. For example, at the Midwest Clinic in in December, I'll be doing that as a one of those what they call a shop talk, which is kind of its TED Talk style structure, shorter, and kind of get get to the point where a broader audience. And so I, I'm going to have to develop how to present some of these ideas more broadly speaking so that uh, uh, other instrumentalists can apply it to what they're doing.
0: Well, this sure has been fun, Rex. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk.
1: It's a blessing. I just hope we're together in person as soon as possible. Yeah, it's pretty
0: amazing. I mean, I'm in Freiburg and you're in Richmond. But I remember when I was in Richmond with you and um, we went out, went out after I found my passport. <laughs> right. Um, celebrated. We and had this – yeah, yeah, and celebrated with this breakfast at – Cuba, Cuba, I think it was called. And it was wonderful. Amazing so, place, for sure, yeah. Yeah, we had a great time there, <laughs> Absolutely. for sure. We also had dinner in an Italian restaurant yeah. the night before that was very good, but so loud we could hardly hear each other. That's the place. Edo well, Square, they call too.
1: that place. It's still there, and um, it's still loud. Amazing food, for sure. Okay, great, <laughs> great.
0: Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Absolutely.
1: Thank you so much, Tony. Really appreciate it.
0: Okay, take care. You too.